Now dig this, Matt. Y'all know I love stationery. Y'all know I love to take notes. I love to write. I love to write on paper. I love to write notebooks. Matt, what'd you get me for Christmas this year? I got you notebooks and pens and organizers. Correct. I love it. Uh, And I find that it genuinely helps me remember things better as opposed to typing them or like putting them on a, like a text file or whatever, actually writing something down physically helps me a lot. It helps me organize my thoughts. It helps me get my work done. And ever since I got my new uh, iPad and I got the Apple pencil with it, I have been doing that on there and that's great. The only problem I've had with it, it doesn't quite feel like writing on paper, which is a feeling I like. We have the solution to that problem. That's right. Paper-like. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it's a screen protector for your iPad. It uses a proprietary technology called NanoDots. With those NanoDots, you feel the natural resistance of paper on your iPad screen. It is a paper-like feeling on your iPad. So if you're drawing, if you're taking notes, if you're using your iPad like you would a notebook... Here's the way for it to really feel natural. And Chris, I know you love that. You you have an iPad, you got a paper like, and I'm sure it's it feels just right for you. It does. It feels great to use. Also, Matt, you know I'm very particular about paper. I have yes. specific brands of notebooks that I will and will not use, and paper like feels good on the iPad. Uh they also make accessories for the pencil to make the pencil a little more comfortable to hold. They make uh, accessories to help you clean the iPad as well. They've got it all. The ability to handwrite notes in a digital form is great to begin with, but getting that extra tactile feeling that makes me happy while I do it, (laughs) that gives me that little dopamine, that little serotonin burst that I like to have, is fantastic. The latest version of the Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils designed for maximum picture clarity. You're not going to lose any of the definition of your iPad screen if you put a paper-like on there. And these foils are developed exclusively for paper-like products. It also always comes in a set of two, so you have a spare. Look, we know a lot of artists listen to this show. If you're an artist and you're looking for a way to make drawing on your iPad feel a little bit better... This is how you do it. So, to pick up your Paperlike, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, click Buy Paperlike, and select your iPad size. From now, right now, until the end of January, Paperlike is also including their Digital Pro Planner Bundle at no extra cost for every order placed through the Paperlike store. Plus, shipping is completely free. So if you're ready to do more with your iPad, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, to get started. Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? That's War Rocket Ajax to bring back his body. Hello everybody and welcome to War Rocket Ajax. This is the Internet's Most Explosive Comic Book and Pop Culture Podcast. We are your hosts. My name is Chris Sims. With me as always, today's going to be a great day because we're having a birthday. 
Happy birthday, Matt Wilson. Thank you. And a birthday. Thank you very much. It's it's nice to be older. Is it? I, I mean, <laughs> I don't. Yes. Yes, it is. It's better than the alternative, as yes. my mom would always say. Wise, wise statement from your mom. For someone who is widely known as a nice lady, my mom can be exceedingly morbid. And that is one example. Still waters run deep, baby. <laughs> we have a great show for everybody this week. In addition to celebration of my birth, we also have a fantastic guest to talk to. Someone we've talked about for a long time. Someone who guests have asked to be on the show on many occasions. Uh, an intercontinental champion. Yeah. Jed McKay. Jed is McKay on the show. is going to be here. Yeah, we're going to be talking about all kinds of stuff, uh, including RPGs. We're going to be talking about his origin story. It's it's going to be a good time. It It is a, a surprising origin story at that. Yeah. Uh, but before we talk to Jed, Chris, we do have some business to take care of here at the top of the show. And now I'm doubting the award we gave him. So I'm having to check warrocketwiki.com to make sure that we, in fact, gave Jed McKay the Intercontinental Championship. But we also have some other business to take care of, starting with thanking our newest supporters on Patreon. That's right, Matt. These are the people who went all the way down to 639 Gimmick Street, and you know what's there. Of course, you know what's there. The birthday cake bakery? Yes. Exactly. It's where I got your birthday cake. Yeah. Yeah. Which is in the shape of your own head to a disturbing degree of accuracy. <laughs> 3D. <laughs> a perfect 3D simulation of my head. A perfect cake. 3D simulation of your head I guess the raspberry filling was a bad choice. On the show, on is it cake? Part. On the show, is it cake? When they cut into it, they go, oh my god, they've killed him. As God is my witness, he is delicious ganache. <laughs> we did give Jed McKay and all dogs the 2022 Intercontinental Championship, just yeah. to be clear. So the not which- the... Not the current Intercontinental Champion, but a former Intercontinental Champion. A former Intercontinental Champion with, I would say, the stiffest competition. Indeed. Indeed. Of all dogs. Matt, if people want to know about uh, the the cake bakery, Uh you kind of messed up my plan because it was going to be a Chuck E. Cheese. (laughs) Where we were going to have your birthday party. Well, it'll still be. I guess that moved. I guess that moved across the street to six forty Gimmick Street. If I remember that, in a few days. Yeah, 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 yeah. Perfect. If you want to get it, if you want us to eat more cake, which is which, who doesn't? Then you can help us achieve that dream and uh, help us pay the gimmicks they keep sending in the mail called bills by going down to patreon.com slash warrocketajax. I guess I should say they can when they're you don't just go there. You also like sign up. 
and you give them some credit card information and you tell them that you want to give us as little as a dollar a month, as much as whatever the highest number you can imagine is. That's true. And here are our newest Patreon supporters, Keltron. Keltron, thank you. Sam Rudzik. Thank you, Sam. And SCMB. Some of those are my initials. That's right. <laughs> the first two reversed. One of those is mine. That's true. And one of them is Benito's. Yes. If you would like to be like those fine folks. And thank, thank you, SCMB. Help us out here on the show. Uh, you can head over to patreon.com slash warrocketajax, and as Chris said, kick in as little as $1 per month to make sure that we do this show every week, that we do Snack Situation and Movie Fighters monthly. We will be watching a movie in June. we got to figure out what it is. Comics Catch Up monthly, Every Story Ever monthly. All of those shows are made possible by your support over on Patreon. And as a patron... You get every single one of those shows I just mentioned, just listed off, completely ad-free. You can also get cool stuff, including bonus audio and writing, bonus content that we put up just on the Patreon for people at that level and higher. Line-stepping privileges for our segments, including Every Story Ever on the Every Story Ever special, and currently Thursday Night Raw, where we determine the rawest moments in comics. Physical rewards. Uh, I still need a few t-shirt sizes. I got. I guess I got to put a deadline on everybody to send in their t-shirt sizes so I can get those printed up and sent out. But there will be a 2023 t-shirt coming very soon. And uh, there's other cool stuff over there on the Patreon too. So if any of that sounds like something you would be interested in, uh, Patreon.com slash WarRocketAjax is the place. If you are unable to help us monetarily, there are other ways that you can help us out. Those ways include giving us a five-star review on the podcasting app that you use. That could be Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. You could also just spread the word about the show. Word of mouth is the best advertising. Tell your friends that there's a podcast that you like. And that they should listen to it too. That would be a birthday gift to introduce a listener to War Rocket Ajax. It would be nice. It would. With that, Chris, it's time for some checks and wrecks. What do you say? I think we should do it. Chris, what are you checking in with this week? Matt, I I got all the shrines. Wow. Congratulations. I did it. I got all the shrines. And I I don't I don't want to spoil it for anybody. But what you get for the shrines in in Tears of the Kingdom is not quite on the level of what you get for the shrines in Breath of the Wild. <laughs> Breath of the Wild, that's how you got Link's real clothes. Correct. Yes. You do not get Link's real clothes in this one. Well, you get multiple versions of Link's real clothes. Yeah, you get multiple versions of Link's real clothes elsewhere in the game, which is fine. So I wasn't like I wasn't expecting to get Link's real clothes, uh, but I also wasn't expecting what I got. And I don't want to spoil it for you if you don't want me to. 
Okay. Yeah, I here's the here's the thing about the reward for all the shrines. Mm-hmm. Once I've found all the shrines, I'm kind of done with the game. Like, if I've gone around and 100%ed all the shrines, I've probably done everything else in the game already, too. I've still got a couple things to do. Like, I've, I, I, I've got 17 light routes left to get. Okay, okay. Uh, and I've got, like, some, some quests and such to, to tackle. But... Yes, like particularly in Breath of the Wild, like once you've got all those runs, you're you're good. You're done, pretty much. Yeah. Like I I I suspect that I'll get the shrines done faster in this one than I did in Breath of the Wild. I might still have some stuff left to do in Tears of the Kingdom after I get all the shrines. Because I am I am at like a hundred and two shrines. You got fifty more. Okay. So I got a ways to go. But uh, I, I am collecting the shrines with more rapidity than I feel like I did in Breath of the Wild. Yeah. I am, however, a compulsive quest doer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If I am given a quest, I feel compelled to finish it as quickly as possible. Um, unless it involves like killing a monster that I'm underleveled for or something like that. But... Yeah, I I wonder if I'll have more stuff to do when I finish collecting the shrines in in the game. We shall see. Yeah, I I I think the ultimate example of that is uh, if you got the DLC for Breath of the Wild, you get that dirt bike, mm-hmm. and by the time you get that dirt bike, it's like, come on now, come on, come on now. I could have used this dirt bike a long time ago. Come on. That's Come on. Hey. Yeah. Come on now. We got some we got some positive response for for Lank. For Southern Lank. For Southern Lank. Okay, Lank. If the if the reward for getting all the shrines isn't a full Dale Earnhardt race worn NASCAR uniform, I don't know what we're talking about. Yeah, I don't yeah, know what we're doing. Give me that 3. Mm-hmm. shirt and like a like a a Hudson construction trucker cap. That's the DLC I want. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I have I I said I was going to do it and I did it. I got all the shrines. I really need you to get all the shrines or to stop caring so that I can talk about this thing you get for all the shrines because I'm I'm not upset, but I'm not happy. Oh, oh no. Oh boy. Okay. I am currently in I mean, look, I also got a bunch of hearts, so it's fine. Sure. Uh I'm currently in the uh the Lost Woods. I f- I found my way into the Korok forest inside the la- the Lost Woods. So I'm doing those quests for the Koroks now. That is where I am in the game currently. That's that's good stuff. Yeah, that's good stuff. Thinking in three dimensions, man. Yeah, uh, I I also have the thing I found all of is the tears. Like mm-hmm. I collected all the all the tears of the kingdom, right? And so 
I I am on my way to getting the Master Sword the proper way, <laughs> rather you, than accidentally, like you. You are a compulsive quest doer, and I am a compulsive fucker around. <laughs> yeah. Which is great, because I love that this game will be like, well, Link, I don't know. I guess all you need now is to get the Master Sword. Oh, you've got the Master Sword. Okay. All right. That's unexpected, but okay. Uh, there's a lot of quests that I have gotten and then immediately completed. <laughs> so I've, I've had a couple of those. Yeah. Where it's just like, you might happen to have certain things in your inventory that the person needs. Or there was one like monster killing quest that I had already done when it was assigned to me. But I got to a very plot critical portion of the game and had to get the dialogue of, oh, so you did this already. And I wanted to be like, look, not only is this not Link's first rodeo, it's not my first rodeo. It's not even this Link's first rodeo. That's true. That is true. The most sequence-breaking thing I have done is I found the Spirit Temple just fucking around in the depths. Yeah. But th- that was that was it. That's the most sequence-breaking thing I've done so far. I found that entire quest line fucking around <laughs> way before I was supposed to. <laughs> fun times it's fun times yeah uh so yeah that's that has been what is uh, occupying my time hopefully now that i've gotten all the shrines my curse will be lifted and i can think of other things not that i particularly want to but you know it's nice to have the option true i i have so i have to read berserk so that's true that's the that's this month's catch-up so <laughs> yeah and it is the 11th as we're recording so Chop Listen. chop. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> Sorry, didn't know my manager was about to show up. That's right. Sometimes manager man. Tell me if I got time to lean. I got time to read Berserk. <laughs> you offered. You offered it. It's a lot. I did. I did. <laughs> Matt, what are you checking in with uh, this week? The week of your fortieth birthday. Well, Chris. Uh, it has been a delightful birthday week. As I mentioned, we're recording not on Thursday night, uh, but on Sunday, because Thursday night was my actual birthday. And mm-hmm. so on Thursday, instead of recording the show, uh, I did uh, leisure activities, including uh, going to see Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which I'm sure we'll be talking about in just a minute. And uh, I also like just went out for a nice dinner and and had a, a lovely night. Um, then uh, our mutual friend, often mentioned on the show, uh, Ben Gully, came down uh, and was here on Saturday for part of the day and Friday evening. And uh, we just kind of hung around and watched Columbo, and that was great. Damn, that sounds like a good birthday. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Just hanging around watching Columbo. I also got my big secret gift that I've been men- that I've mentioned on the show previously. Uh huh. I did. I did uh, find out what it was. I'm very excited for you. Oh, someone told you what it was, huh? I asked Ben. Yeah. Yeah. So Ben, Marlene, Sean, and my friend Sean Bogus all went in together. Oh, and Sean, my friend Sean Gerard, they all went in together on getting me a smoker. For meat, a meat smoker. 
So my birthday gift was smoke related. Puff puff. But not that kind of smoke. Like wood smoke that you use to make barbecue. So yes, I can make my own barbecue and be a barbecue man now. That's very exciting. It is. I have not set it up yet. Uh, I have not had time to set it up. I was going to try to do it earlier today, but it was raining. So I will try to get the smoker set up sometime this week and do some kind of test run with some kind of like ribs or something in there. Or maybe a chicken. Just smoke something relatively small before I try like a whole pork shoulder or something like that. Mm -hmm. But... I I I told <laughs> I told the whole group that went in together on the gift that they got me the, the pretty the, the perfect fortieth birthday present, which is a new hobby. <laughs> yeah, uh, Ben. When I asked, because I did want to make sure, I didn't think my gifts to you were going to overlap with anyone's. Yeah, uh, but uh, I, I asked, and Ben was like, "Oh, we wanted to get him the most forty-year-old thing." <laughs> and I was like, perfect, great. Uh, along with the smoker came like all the things you need with a smoker. So one of those big cylinders to dump charcoal out of, like hot mm. coals, uh, a meat thermometer, wood chips, and charcoal, uh, but nothing to cook. So I'll, I'll have to go get something to cook. Uh, in in the smoker, uh, you mentioned your gifts. Uh, your gifts also came, and they were fantastic. Did you want to do this now or at the end of the show? We can do it now. I, well, we can do it at the end. That's fine. We well, can. We can look, I, it is Matt, it, buddy. It's your birthday. It's it's whatever your option is. If you want to save yours for the end, we can save yours for the end. I I'm good with that. Um, I've got I got a lot of well wishes, uh, a lot of nice texts and messages. Uh, it was. That was that was great. Um, I did. I, I have learned that like making the actual day of my birthday as normal as possible is good. So I did like actually work on Thursday and Friday. Like I did the kind of more celebratory stuff the weekend before on my like little mini vacation in Charleston. Oh, by the way, I said I was going to get trashed in Charleston. I tried. <laughs> I tried, and it just didn't happen. I had, like, a number of mixed drinks during the night and, like, barely got above buzzed. Wow, didn't take you for a quitter. Yeah, I don't know. I tried. Well, good news, Matt. You were going to be here on my birthday. That's true. So maybe if if we really work hard together... We can get you tanked. <laughs> it could be a goal. It could definitely be a goal. Uh, but yeah, that's that's my check. Uh, fun birthday, great, gr- good times, great oldies, and uh, ha- happy to still be around. Chris, it's time to make some recommendations. What do you have to recommend? Matt, you said it. You called it. You nailed it. I would like to recommend the newest Spider-Man experience <laughs> spider-man across the spider-verse uh the new animated film it's uh, gonna be our mutual wreck yeah which is excellent 
Although I do have a critical flaw with the plot, which okay. I am curious to know if you share. I don't have any in mind, so I'm interested to hear what yours is and see if I agree. All right, we're probably going to get into spoiler territory. Uh, so if that is a uh, concern for you, uh, then maybe skip ahead a little bit. Uh, the vaguest version of it that I can give you is this. Miguel O'Hara absolutely would do that. Peter Parker would not. Because we're, we're into spoilers. Just We're telling everybody right now. We're we are now spoilers. in spoiler territory. Yeah. We are Stephanie Brown. So are we talking about the exile of, of Miles? No, I'm talking about the entire like canon event thing. I see. Like I, I see. like it on a metatextual level because I do like this recognition of you know of of being Spider-Man sucks. <laughs> like Spider-Man can't win for losing and that is a multiversal constant. And like I I kind of like the idea of making that a defining feature of Spider-Man that you are going to lose. Uh, and the bad thing is going to happen to you. But Peter Parker, having learned that, would still fight it. And would, like, the, he would just, you know, focus on figuring out how to stop it and also not destroy the multiverse. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right about that. Making Miles the one who's like, no, fuck this, I do think really works in the context of the movie. Mm -hmm. But it is true that, like, 616 Peter, as we know him, would reject it. I mean, I, I guess notably, Miguel in the movie says, like, Tom Holland Spider-Man is a little twerp that he doesn't. That isn't part of the group. Uh -huh. So there's at least that, you know, but like, I, I feel like my problem is less character based. The whole canon event thing. Some of that stuff is really shoehorned. Mm -hmm. Like the notion that there always has to be a police captain who died. For the, except for the Spider-Mans where that doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. Like, for, there are versions of Spider-Man that that's not a part of his, their story. Yeah. You know what's more often a part of that story is uh, that police captain's daughter. Right. Or, or, or dying. Yes. Yeah. Like, not, ev not even all of them have an Uncle Ben, you know? Mm -hmm. Like... Like, I feel I, Uncle Ben is definitely mentioned, but like, Gwen doesn't have an Uncle Ben. Yeah, they, they really, they really stretch out like someone close to you dies and it's kind of your fault. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but also then specifically, it has to be a ranking police captain. Um, and, and look, this said, I liked the movie a lot. Oh, I did too. Yeah. I, and I feel like the, the the fix for that that I would have thrown out is a can't believe I'm saying it. Uh, I would not have had it be so many Spider Mans. 
Uh, cause I feel like if it's, if it's a smaller number of Spider-Men, uh, I was talking to, uh, uh, local friend uh nick colton yesterday who was like yeah miles kind of comes off as an anti-vaxxer when all of these scientists and experts <laughs> are telling him hey you got to do this thing and he's like no not me <laughs> uh and i'm like yeah that's you know fair uh but i would have had it be you know a, a, a smaller group uh, and I would have like had it be a few more of like I would have kept like Ben Riley in there that Tom Lyle looking Ben Riley oh my god uh, and I would have had Peter be on his side from jump like Peter, Peter be, B yeah no they're wrong Peter B yeah Peter B yeah yeah be like yeah that's like being Spider Man isn't a sacrifice being Spider Man is not giving up. I, I do think Peter B. being part of the Spider Society does make sense, especially now that he has Mayday. It's it's the sort of like, oh, I have a kid now, so I got to settle down and have a day job. Uh huh. Yeah, like <laughs> that's I, how I interpreted that. All the character stuff I really really liked, and I mean, it kind of goes without saying. God Almighty, the animation, the 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 visuals are the reason to see the movie. Every sequence with Gwen and her dad, like, they're just talking. All of those scenes with Gwen and her dad are just talking, and they are visually stunning. They're, yeah, they are insanely gorgeous. Yeah. Um, The other, like, the other thing is that if you have not seen it and you're like, I don't care about spoilers, tell, tell me about it, boys. Uh... In this scenario, you are James Urbaniak. <laughs> uh, uh, if you haven't seen it, the opening sequence, like the cold, not I guess not really cold open, but like the kind of opening of the film, is essentially a fight scene between four characters who are done in four different animation styles yes. interacting with each other, and they all look incredible. And here's the wildest thing. The vulture is the coolest looking thing I've ever seen. <laughs> that specific version of vulture, yeah, yes, sixteen oh two vulture, and I did not know that was going to happen. And I like literally leaned over to my wife in the theater and went, "That sixteen oh two vulture, <laughs> <laughs> Leonardo da Vulture." Yeah, uh, there were several really small details that I just like kind of flipped out over. Like, things that were not in the first movie that they added to this one that just made me kind of, like, go, these are people who fucking love Spider-Man comic books. Mm -hmm. The editor's notes. The editor's notes were incredible. I love the editor's notes. Every time one appeared on screen, I flipped out. Yeah. That's so good. That's not just I like Spider-Man. That's I like Spider-Man comic books. I like Marvel comic books, yes. Yeah. I like Rascally Roy Thomas. Like, the the character that Marlene asked about most as we were leaving the movie was Ben Riley, Because she was like, did he talk like that in the comics? And the answer is, not exactly. Kinda. But he, the, the melodrama is true to the character. Sounds like uh, Marlene might be interested in uh, reading the the four part series 
that I literally carried to a summer camp with me uh-huh. as a child. Uh, the Talk most pain. Oh, I thought you meant Spider-Man The Lost Years. Uh, nah, dog. Spider-Man The Lost Years was maybe like a little too intense for me, but like The Mark of Cain, where where at one point Peter puts on the black costume mask, but is also wearing like a like a tank top and like prison uniform pants and like a bomber jacket. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best spider-man look they put Bagman and, and the fucking spider armor and everything where's that spider-man i will say like it's it strains credulity a little bit to be like oh yeah the spider-man who's a cat and the spider-man who's a dinosaur they had a police captain who died <laughs> <laughs> police captain yeah but also um, like how can you not put in the cat and the dinosaur you know well, like, this is my like my real complaint with uh with Spider Verse is the thing about the like P- Peter wouldn't do that. Um, my fake complaint about Across the Spider Verse is motherfucker. I was promised Takuya Yamashiro. I just I was promised true, true, and and I did not get it. And I kept like I have talked to a, a friend of I, I guess friend of some of. My shows, Shannon Maynard, uh, came to Minneapolis uh, recently, and like literally the day after AC and I saw Spider-Verse, so I got to uh, talk about it with uh, with professional animator Shannon Maynard, which was lovely. If you listen to Sailor Business, you're familiar with Shannon. We were talking about it, and she was like, yeah, like when he, they, he jumps out of the tower. And I was like, yes, exactly. I was like, okay, here we go. Here comes Leopardon. We're about to see. We're about to see the Spider-Man who has a giant robot, the emissary of hell, and that did not happen. And then at the end, I was like, "Okay, well, I guess he's just going to be in the. He's going to be in the, the other, like like when they get the gang back together at the end, he's going to be part of that." It's like, yeah. nope. it's like, fuck you, Chris. It, he's going to be in the next movie. He's going to be in the next movie. It, it, hey, you fucking better be. They withheld a few Spider characters. So you are begging for him next time. <laughs> like Spider Spider Man Noir only appeared in that last shot. Uh-huh. And Spider Ham, despite being heard in flashback, is not actually in the movie until that last shot too. I was I was wondering if that uh if if that might have something to do with Baby J. <laughs> <laughs> why would I mean why would they take Baby J out just for just for being in rehab? You know, who doesn't love a redemption story for Spider Ham? If if Spider, I want Spider Ham to show up and talk about going to rehab like John Mulaney did in Baby J. <laughs> please, please make that happen, Lord and Miller. I know you're listening to this. Please make that happen. They're big fans of the show. Big fans. Huge, of the show. They got to be huge fans of the show. On the, th- thank you to uh, uh, Chris. That's my name, and Phil. That's, That's right. me thanking them for being Patreon backers. <laughs> <laughs> That's their names, right? That is their names, yeah. yeah. Uh, all in all, uh, great movie, though. I, I no, Highly enjoyable. I don't know if I quite had the like emotional fullness that I had after the first one. But that's partially because it ends on a cliffhanger. Which I did not know was going to happen. Oh, I, like, I, I, I knew they had talked about it being a trilogy. I did not know it was going to be a cliffhanger. And so I was sitting there going like, man, this movie's going to be long. And then boom. But, 
but yeah, then it turned out, and and the theater was shook. I, Nobody like, in the theater knew it was going to be a cliffhanger. It it had been announced. The, the it had been announced that there were two parts. Well, listen, I, I mostly saw it with children. <laughs> so uh, that that makes a little more sense. I, yeah. I the thing that surprised me the most is there were no post credit scenes. Don't need it. That, that was bold. Bold. Yeah. What were they going to do? Show you show you the spider buggy? Too late. He's already in there. He'd already seen it. Yeah. yeah. The, the spider the spider mobile which was alive. Yeah. Peter parked car. Peter parked car. Where is Spider's Man? Where is Spider's Man? Where is is Japanese Spider Man? Two very important questions. Two very very important questions. Oh, you know who was great? That movie's version of Jessica Drew. Yes, loved her. Yeah, no, like I, I will say, probably the weirdly enough, probably like if not the second best Spider Man movie, the third best Spider Man movie. And far and away, the best Gwen Stacy movie. <laughs> yeah, I loved how much Gwen kind of became the lead. Yeah, th- th- this one is definitely much more of Gwen's story, which is is cool. I lo- love Gwen. And like I talked about the visuals of that, those scenes with her dad. She notably has a protect trans kids flag in her bedroom. Mm-hmm. And all of those shots, all of those scenes are shot in trans colors, in yeah. trans black colors. Which to to head off the argument, yeah, that it, those are kind of her her costume colors. Yes, that's her color scheme anyway. But also, <laughs> but, but also. also they put the they put the flag in there, so you would know, right? And uh, you know, it's it's allegorical, but. Her saying to her dad, I feel like I'm only living half a life. Like, you know. It's it's not that hidden. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not not. Uh good, good, good stuff. Yeah. Uh love loved loved the movie. Uh despite complaining about it. That, again, that's my complaint. It is otherwise a perfectly fine time. And also, it's a perfectly fine plot for Spider-Man. So, uh, you can have some plot contrivances if you would like to. I've read comics. I'm familiar with plot contrivances. Well, it's, you know, having the the conflict kind of be internal between Spider-People in the first part, so that they can then all team up in the next one to fight the spot... The fucking, the fucking spot? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, buddy. Hey, let's get more Spider-Man movies with, like, C-list villains, please. Yeah. Uh, and have them be played. I got... I watched uh, all of the new season of I Think You Should Leave. Like, the... the I think we saw it on Friday, and I, I watched that on Saturday. So I got two surprise Jason Schwartzmans. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, in my weekend, which was nice. Hey... Uh, we got so many more. We got we got Boomerang. Oh, buddy, we got the Enforcers. We got Grizzly. We got White Rabbit. Oh, we could. I would love to get White Rabbit in there. We got uh, Beetle. We've had so many movies about the Green Goblin. 
You can put the Beetle in there. Get the Beetle in there. You can put the Beetle, and you can put Beetle 2 in there. Like, basically all the superior foes of Spider-Man, put them in a movie. Yeah, yeah. Like, I would really... I don't think it is going to happen. I mean, Shocker's been in a movie, but yeah. Shocker has... Shocker... Two Shockers have been in one movie, amazingly. I don't think it's going to happen. But I would really like to just get a movie of either Miles or of Peter B just being like having, having a Spider-Man adventure, you know, like, yeah. like I want, especially I really liked the interaction between MJ and Peter B. And I, I love Tom DeFalco and Ron friends Mayday Parker showing up and being, being a part of this world now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, man, just give me like, g- give me like that Spider-Man going and fighting fucking Craven the Hunter. Love it. Well, that was an extended discussion of Across the Spider-Verse, which is partially because we didn't read any of the weekly comics this week because we've both been so busy. Yeah. But that means, Chris, it's time to just dive right in to our conversation with Jed McKay. What do you say? Yeah, and when we come back, we will talk about your birthday presents, so don't miss that. program this week we have someone that we are extremely excited to talk about uh over the past year or so he has become a favorite here on the show uh thanks to work on uh moon knight dr strange uh black cat uh all kinds of good stuff recently avengers now uh, the team of whom you may have heard (laughs) uh jed mckay is here jed welcome to the show oh thank you for having me yeah we are we are delighted to have you well, I'm I'm delighted to be on. <laughs> we'll we'll see we'll see how it goes. So, such such a luminary, you know, such a mainstay of uh, comic book podcasting. I mean, look, you joke, but we are. I, I'm not joking. We've been we've been in this game a while. <laughs> it's it if nothing else, longevity. We 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 have longevity. I mean, you guys have been doing this longer than I've been writing comics. Um, true. Hey, great! I'm sad now. <laughs> uh jed i know this might be a strange thing to start with but it's something chris and i clocked immediately sure on your avengers run <laughs> and we are huge amateur logo fans i guess like we're not designers we don't have sure. design backgrounds we are enthusiasts. We're definitely enthusiasts of when it comes to logos. And we saw that mid to late 80s Avengers logo mm-hmm. and thought, that's a choice. And I want to know if you had any say in that at all or if that's just the logo Marvel put on the book. Because it's it's so indicative of such a specific time mm-hmm. in the Avengers. Like... I'm expecting so much uh, Black Knight in your run. (laughs) (laughs) For the return of Gilgamesh, the Forgotten One. Yeah, I mean, uh, actually, 
like I'm, I'm very keen on it too. I think it's fun, but to be quite honest, the first time I saw that was the first time anybody else did okay. back in Timeless. And uh, when it came up, I was like, "Oh, cool! That's what we're doing." And then you know, in my head, I'm like, "Oh, that that you know that fits. That's that's a vibe that I think that I'm very into with maybe not the particular you know lineup of the Avengers at that time is is not really reflected in what we're doing now, but I think there's a certain vibe there that I really enjoyed. It was just a particular period for interaction between characters that I think had a really great transition from perhaps you know the kind of earlier era of Avengers towards something that was a little more modern, and uh, I think that's something that I've kind of have a lot of affection for. Well, getting that logo on the cover and then having an issue that was divided up between characters having conversations mm-hmm. and let the Avengers fighting Terminus. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, you know, very much uh, of that time. Well, y- yes, one thing we we talked about when we talked about that issue on the show, because we've been going through a big Mark Grunewald Captain America reread. Mm-hmm. It's, we're almost at the end of it, and we're almost reticent to finish, because then it's going to be over. Um, but I feel like I clocked a like a, a winking deep pull nod to some Grunwald cap when Black Panther talked about fighting Terminus with the uh, Antarctic vibranium. Uh, to like to a certain extent, um, the thing is, when you. In this team, it's like they're uh, they're a real crew of hitters, which is you know by design. I wanted the Avengers, this Avengers team, to feel like really big, but at the same time, you've got cats like the you know the Black Panther and uh, Captain America, who are significantly lower down on the power ladder. Um, which is not to say you know they can't hang or anything, but you do have to kind of think of ways in which their contributions are uh, interesting and exciting and useful. So. Really, just the, the main thing with the Antarctic vibranium is just this seems like a very Black Panther thing to do when he's you know going to throw down with some robots, either giant or small. Um, that said, like you know, a lot of this came from like I have a lot of affection for Terminus. Uh, I was looking for a villain for something, and you know, going through the wikis and uh, came across Terminus. I'm like, well, this guy looks cool. He's like a giant alien robot. And so I went back and you know dug through his history and like read his back issues and like the I think it was what nineteen ninety was it the the terminus um, terminus factor the annual event where uh, we basically see terminus being reborn from all these like little termini drones into yeah. becoming like a giant robot and then he fights another terminus and they merge into an even bigger robot and I was like man how is this guy a jobber he's terrifying. <laughs> Like he's an immortal alien who just gets bigger and bigger, and uh, I could, you know, then you go back and read where he just burns down half the, you know, the Savage Land. He punks out the Fantastic Four. I was like, man, Terminus rules! Like he's so cool. This is, I think, even for this show, this is the most effusive anyone has ever been about Terminus, and I love that. Well, because that's, that's the thing. is like you get characters, and you, know, you see it over and over again. You get these new villains introduced, the scariest dudes in the world. And the next time you see them is six years later, uh, and they're an also-ran in a crowd shot or something, you know? And 
that's why I, I like digging up some of these old characters and trying to like really put a little more shine on them. Cause I'm like, these were characters that were created to be the, you know, the baddest dudes in the world. And let's, you know, let's see where that came from. Let's, let's get a little back, a little bit of that energy back and, you know, see what we can do with them now, you know, 20, 30 years down the line. Oh, that's, that's where me and Matt live. Yeah, I mean, like, you guys read Black Cat. You know, I was digging up weird bullshit like fucking Xander the Merciless. <laughs> there is a... I, there's no wrong way to read comics. I mean, that's not true. There's lots of wrong ways to read oh, comics. For sure. I've seen it every day. But, like, I'm not saying that the knowledge of, like, the more obscure characters is inherently better or anything. Sure. But I do think there is a certain kind of comics reader. And I am this way. Matt is this way. Like, I don't love any villains as much as I love the enforcers and the wrecking crew, you know? Like, yeah. And I mean, that's, that's how I feel about the, you know, only recently returned in the pages of Moon Knight new enforcers from uh web of Spider-Man 100. Yeah. Where, you know, I got that book when I was a kid. And I was like, there's like 15 villains in this book. This is huge value for money. And at that, you know, at that time I had no context. I assumed these were just the biggest dudes in the world. And so now later I go back, I'm like, yeah, whatever. After like Blitz and Tangle and Thermite, and like they only ever they were only ever a team for that one issue of you know Web of Spider Man. So bringing them back, I'm like, well, this is obviously they didn't do particularly well fighting Venom and Moon Knight, but you know they're the new enforcers. Like, what are you going to do? But it's it's just fun to see them in action and like talking to each other, and they're like, are we in over our heads? I'm glad that you brought up the idea of, of seeing these things when you're a kid and and not not knowing that they're not the coolest people in the world. Yeah, for sure. Because uh, I feel like that is part of the magic of comics and why it's it is so fascinating to me and and occasionally like very easy to see something and be like, oh, I I know the issue that that this creator read when they were yeah. when they were fourteen. Oh yeah, totally. Um. Though in my case, a lot of it is I get upset where I'm like, oh man, I, I've had plans for these guys and someone else dug them up. Like I had a, a long gestating uh, Dingbats of Danger Street pitch in my back pocket. Ah! And then uh, Danger Street came out. I was like, man, fuck. Are you serious? <laughs> Again, you, you and me both, bud. <laughs> well, it's, it's always interesting to me. Like, there are certain comics you can read and. I'll go back to Grunewald because that's such a recent point of reference for us. But there, there are certain comics you can read and you can see these characters that certain creators really, really loved during their runs on a book. Mm -hmm. And then the next creator comes on and they move on and, and those characters don't come back for whatever reason or, or, you know, the, the new people just don't have the enthusiasm that, the last writer did. Sure. Yeah. And, and a lot of times those, those characters get lost and it does seem like we're at a point in comics, like not just your comics, but like comics in general, where a lot of idea, like the people who read those books are bringing those characters back and putting a new spin on them and doing new things with them. And, and not all of that is old comics like wand, like, Mm-hmm. Wand is a, a relatively recent invention that you have made really important. Um, yeah, yeah, and I mean, like, yeah. the, they were one of those things. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I just I, we're huge fans of 
want and are so glad you've done so much with it. So I just, yeah, I just want to know like what caught your eye about that. It's, I think it's just, I mean, part of it is that it's easy. Like if no one else is using these characters, there's never any conflict. Um, you know, <laughs> you know, early on when I was doing black cat, I was like, Oh, I want to do like a saber tooth story. And I think this is just before uh, all the heads of X powers of X stuff came out. And Nick was like, yeah, you know what? Maybe we want to pump the brakes on the uh, X-Men characters for a little while. Uh, you know, there's some stuff happening. Um, yeah, Sabretooth is going to be in a hole. Yeah, he's going to be in a hole for the foreseeable future. Uh, and then later on, I was like, oh, can we can we do a Wolverine story? He's like, you can always do a Wolverine story. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like, you know, part of it's easy because no one else is using these characters. There's not a conflict. And there's also a lot less research to do when they've appeared in like you know two issues of Doctor Strange in like 1982 or something. Um, but also it's, it's kind of having your cake and eating it too, where you can take an established character an established idea and bring it back, which I think really makes the world feel lived in, uh, to say that, you know, these things don't just disappear into a vacuum when they're not being looked at. Um, while at the same time, there's a lot of freedom to kind of put your own spin on something or like to really do your own work in it. Like, you know, like using Zodiac as a villain in Moon Knight, um, he was, you know, a character I liked. I, you know, I bought that series when it came out. And when I was pitching Moon Knight, it kind of belatedly came to me. I was like, well, this is this is a perfect villain. You know, the the man who believes in nothing versus the man who's desperately looking for something to believe. Um, and there's we had a lot of leeway to work with this character because he appeared in so few books, like, you know, six comics or something. Um, same with, you know, the House of Shadows in Moon Knight. It's, I was doing my reading for Death of Doctor Strange. And that was, you know, a really early Strange Tales book. I was like, man, that is a great story, and it's a great character. Uh, I don't, I don't have anything to use it for right now, but I'm gonna put it in my notes and you know refer back to it. And it doesn't always work out. Like, you know, I've got characters that I've been meaning to get back to, never really happens. But who knows? Like down the line, I could use them. You know, nothing's ever wasted. Yeah, that uh, House of Shadows issue of Moon Knight was incredible. That that was a that was definitely one where the both of us were like, what a great idea. Like, what a great solution to a haunted house story. But also, what a great execution. Like, that double-page spread of him in, like, the maze. Because like, I gave that to Alessandro, and I'm like, listen, I know this is a huge pain in the ass, so figure it out as best as you can, and we'll talk about it. And he just came back with that, like, oh, it's almost like an origami structure, and that spread is, like, it conveys such a long stretch of, des- of increasing desperation in just those two pages. Like, he did such a good job. Yeah, it, it, extremely excellent stuff. Uh, that actually brings up something that I've been curious about. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like if you read enough comics about magic, you start seeing people's ideas of how magic works. Uh, whether it's, you know, like, I, Teeny Howard is really big on on that i know kieran gillen is really big on that and it's you know like i will always think about the kieran gillen comic where uh aries takes uh like there's a bunch of dead hydra agents and he takes their teeth out and then he plants them and they Mm -hmm. grow the skeleton warriors because that's in greek mythology what the teeth of the hydra do yeah the dragon's teeth yeah yeah and someone says that doesn't make sense and he goes it doesn't have to make sense it's magic it makes more sense (laughs) yeah I mean, I think people will be annoyed at me, uh, but I'm significantly less stringent uh, as far as it comes to the rules of magic. Which, 
might seem obvious. Like I come from a like a background of tabletop role playing games where magic is by necessity highly structured. I'm more interested in the sort of narrative and you know exciting way of presenting magic where magic characters are often a huge pain in the ass because ostensibly they could solve any problem, you know, by saying, Hey, I have a spell for that. What up? Um, and so you're always having to find reasons that they can't simply solve every problem. But I think the trick is to present characters, magical abilities as being, you know, powerful and cool and incredible, but also, you know, having limitations, even if those limitations may seem arbitrary and then sort of following through with that. Um, Part of the problem comes from the fact that Marvel doesn't really have a standardized style guide for how magic works in the universe. You know, we keep trying to do that. Uh, I don't think it ever really takes. But as far as writing Doctor Strange, this is really my main magical concern. And then now, of course, you know, Wanda, the Scarlet Witch. Um, it, though we, even with Scarlet Witch, I'm more following uh, Steve Orlando's lead from her solo series. It's just more of a, for me, it's more of a feel than it is about particular rules. I want things to feel like they're magical. I want things to feel like the you know there's effort expended and the, there there are limitations of some sort, while also showing these characters as being you know exciting and powerful and dynamic. Um, so that's you know sort of, sort of the answer to that. Uh, I you beat me to it because I was going to mention that uh, our our mutual pal Daniel Kibblesmith. Uh, mentioned that you were into tabletop gaming, and so I was wondering if you had done the the thing of like figuring out just for yourself how magic works uh, or not. Uh, but something else that uh, that Matt and I clocked uh, was in that latest issue of Doctor Strange that came out, mm-hmm. where the entire like arc of the story is a coin trick. Yeah, <laughs> it's close up magic. Yeah, and I was like, I was like, that's so brilliant because that's not wizard stuff; it's magician stuff. Yeah, and that's that's something I find very funny about, um, like, again, like talking about magic, but also looking at the different ways magic is interpreted. Uh, you know, we talk; we're very big uh, talking about you know, the magic of stories, and that that is something that ties in in that issue as well. Given that Doctor Strange's entire trick throughout that is that he's not talking to, to Dormammu, excuse me, Dormammu when he's telling those stories. But yeah, it, it ultimately comes down to, you know, a coin trick. Uh, if I could have figured out a way to do it with a card, it would have been uh, good. I guess, I guess it could have done like a three-card Monty thing, but it's not quite as elegant as the, the wishing well, you know. Yeah, no, I, it was... I was endlessly delighted. <laughs> and that's the thing, is like... When you're writing a story about characters that are really powerful, they can't win just because they're more powerful. Uh, you know, Moon Knight rarely wins a fight just because he's a better fighter, or like he's stronger or tougher. You know, like he he beats Hunter's Moon because <clears throat> we ultimately get this revelation that uh, you know earned earned experience is better than you know inherited experience. We'll say, for instance, uh, like there's always got to be a little twist. There's got to be something that's a little different, that's a little surprising. Because with characters that are very powerful, and especially magical characters, if they just win by saying, you know, I, I paid the three magic points and I cast this spell and I win, it's not a particularly interesting story. Um, but, and again, if you're getting up to close-up magic, this was a story entirely about misdirection. I am 
actually, you, you mentioned you mentioned that we've been doing this podcast longer than you've been writing comics. Uh, as someone who was has read pretty much all of your your work at Marvel, uh, but was you know we mentioned this off mic. Matt and I were completely unfamiliar with you before Death of Doctor Strange, so we were kind of like blown away by it. Like, where where do you come from, Jen McKay? <laughs> uh, I mean. If we're talking about how I got into working in comics, I come from a uh, uh, a mostly forgotten corner of the internet, which was called the, uh, the bulletin board systems. You know, the old mm-hmm. uh, the old web forums. Uh, I used to post a lot on um, bulletin boards or forums for you know people wanting to make comics. This was like through the early to mid to late two thousands. Uh, and I was on a board that uh, a lot of other people came from. Uh, James Stoko was on there, uh, Marley Zarcone, um, a bunch of other people. Uh, Lucio, Lucio Cerval Santos was on there, uh, all as, you know, children. But uh, I basically started, I, I got to a point where I realized that I wasn't actually going to draw my own comics. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't fast enough. Like, it would take me a day to do one badly penciled panel. I was like, well, I'm probably not going to get 20 pages out at uh, this rate. But uh, I hooked up with a friend of mine, Sheldon Fella, who's a great artist in Australia. And uh, he and I started making these really kind of you know, dumb, crass comics. Um, anyway, Sheldon was a much better artist than, than I was a writer. And he got in with Marvel, and he got asked to do this uh, uh, anthology comic called uh, X-Men Serve and Protect, where... An X-Men character teams up with a non-X-Men character and they have an adventure for eight pages. And so he emailed me. He's like, listen, I don't know any of these characters. So why don't you write this for me and I'll draw it and we'll both get paid. And that was my first, uh, first like, you know, really published comics work, my first paid comics work back in uh, 2010. Uh, for X-Men Surf and Protect number four, it was the Dazzler and Daughters of the Dragon team-up story. What? And uh, at, at that point, I was like, man, I got this mail. Because I'd just gone back to school to be a teacher. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I don't have to be a teacher. Maybe I'll be a comic writer. Um, for the next eight years, I did another eight pages in total. So I was like, <laughs> well, okay, let's not call off uh, my new career plans just yet. Um, but I got asked to come back to do – because we, we did that eight-page – Dazzler, Daughters of the Dragon story. Then four years later, we did um, an eight-page Spider-Punk story, which I guess is very relevant now because um, at that point in time, you know, Spider-Punk was, he was a character that was there, but he was just an outfit. And so you know, Nick was like, hey, do you want to give him like a world and a backstory and stuff? So like, sure. Like, you know, it'd be fun to make him Hobie Brown instead of Peter Parker. Uh, you know, we'll put him in Earth 138 because, you know, it's a misfit song, et cetera, et cetera. So four years after that, in 2018, they're doing Spider-Geddon, and um, they wanted to do like a one-shot issue with a Spider-Punk character. Sheldon was too busy. But uh, yeah, that was my first full issue, which led to Daughters of the Dragon, which led to um, Man Without Fear, and the Man Without Fear led to Black Cat, and then it eventually became a career after that point. That is an interesting path. Now, were you, were you teaching in between all that? Oh, yeah. No, I was teaching from... Let me see. I graduated school in 2013. And I worked at a grocery store for a year because there was no jobs in Halifax. Uh, then, I, yeah, then I went to China for a year. Then I was in Montreal doing some teaching work. 
came back to Halifax and I was teaching till 2019 when uh, work basically built up to a point where I couldn't do both teaching and comic book work. And I mean, honestly, if, if one of those is your dream job, that's you know a pretty easy choice. Right. So teaching, obviously. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is actually great because then COVID came shortly after I quit teaching. And I was like, man, I really dodged that bullet because uh, teaching over Zoom looked like it sucked. <laughs> yeah, we, 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 yes, we have heard that. Did you have, like, I'm always very curious about this when there are characters mm-hmm. that, it's such an interesting group of characters that you've worked on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, did you, did you pitch Black Cat? Did you pitch Moon Knight? Did you pitch Doctor Strange? Because, like, it, you don't, uh, you know, Jeff Parker, uh, I was once interviewing uh, for something, or, or maybe it was here on the show, uh, was, like, talking about how he's always asked, like, uh, this was during the Batman 66 comic, and he was like, yeah, people always ask me if I was a fan, but, like, I am, but you don't have to be. Nope. And, and so I'm wondering, like, what what was the case for you, like, with those characters? Because that it's, again, it's an interesting bunch. Yeah, I mean, it's, for the most part, you know, especially, I would say, you know, at my level, but my level, I guess, has increased. I'm right at the fucking Avengers now. Um, but, you know, when I was starting out in 2019, it was just whatever came my way. Uh, I did that Spider-Punk one-shot. Uh, I emailed to Nick. And I was like, "Hey, you know, it's great to work together. Uh, you know, let's do this again. And then you know, we, I love you know, I always have a lot of fun working. And I assume to be another four years. Um, you know, like I'll you know, see you in twenty twenty two or whatever that would have been. But he was like, "Well, actually, I have something for you. Um, we're doing this Daughters of Dragon mini uh, creative team we had set up. Uh, it just fell apart. How fast can you turn around a script?" I was like, well, real, real fast, as it turns out. <laughs> um, if, if that is the question, it's when yeah. you do it. <laughs> Exactly. It's like, you know, I will not grade these papers uh, until this is done. But uh, that's kind of the thing. It's like whatever is available and whatever editor has to fill that seat and then whoever they, they think of, you know, someone who's fast, someone who has a history with the character, someone who they think is good for it or is a good fit. You know, I did that daughter's one shot or daughter's um, anthology thing with Dazzler. So Nick thought, okay, well, I got to, I got to get someone to write this daughters of the dragon series. Well, sure. But let's give them a go. And, you know, daughters of the dragon was a series that I don't think lit up the world commercially because it was, you know, it was a digital first series, but it was something that people in Marvel seemed to like. So, you know, after I'd finished ghost Panther, I'd finished all the spider getting interstitial stuff I've been doing. Uh, I finished Man Without Fear, and then I think it was like a dry couple months. I was like, well, you know, that was fun, but I guess that's it. Because for basically up to the point where I signed my first contract, I was always kind of like, well, this will probably kind of peter out. Like, you know, this is this is not really something you count on for a career. Um, but yeah, Nick gave me a call. He's like, listen, I got something for you. I was like, I really liked Daughters of the Dragon. I thought it was a lot of fun, and I really loved the energy. But, you know, they're not going to give us money to do another Daughters of the Dragon series. It's Daughters of the Dragon. You know, it's, it is what it is. It says, but we are spinning off a Black Cat series out of uh, what's going on in Amazing Spider-Man. 
back when uh, Nick Spencer was writing it. He's like, I want you to take the stuff you did at Daughters of the Dragon, you know, this kind of, you know, a lot of gags, a lot of high energy, a lot of adventure, and do that with Black Cat. And, you know, I wasn't really a Black Cat fan. I, you know, I, she was a character that existed. I had no great affection for her. But I was like, yeah, sure, I'd, I'd love to. And you know, that's when you go into a character and you find the things that are interesting to you about that character, which I think you can do with pretty much anyone, unless it's a character you really hate. Like, I mean, I don't think I'm going to be writing a Jack of Hearts series anytime soon, you know? But, <laughs> like, you know, I'm, I think, you know, there's really interesting, you can find an interesting angle in any character. So, like, Black Cat, I was like, well, the cat burglar thing, I think, is a lot of fun, but it's the same story every time. You know, you, you go through the vents, you go through the laser nets or whatever. But, like, what if we did this, like, every arc is a heist? You know, there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of different personalities going on. At some point, it looks like it goes bad. And that's when I got really interested in it. And it's like, well, what if, you know, we have Felicia Hardy as, like, you know, the it girl of, you know, New York, New York thievery, like super thievery. And it just kind of spun out from there. And you know, I did my research, and we see, I'm like, oh, wow, these two characters she recruits for her crew in her first appearance way back, they've never really appeared since. Like, these guys are fantastic. Like, these are a gift. Let's bring them back and put them in there. So, you know, in that case, it was just more like, we're doing this book. What do you have for it? You know, similarly with Moon Knight, I got an email from Tom. He's like, um, we're doing a Moon Knight book. We don't know what we want it to look like. We're reaching out to a bunch of people. What do you got? And again, very quickly turn around a pitch and say, like, here's my thoughts. You know, here's here's where I think we can do with Moon Knight. Um I don't think I've ever gotten a book just asking. Oh no, wait, I got Doctor Doctor Strange from asking for it. Because um Oh, okay, so that's that's been that's been our problem this this whole time. <laughs> not calling up and being like, hey, you got a... You got any, you got any, uh, any Spider-Man books need writing? Well, that was the thing, is that uh, I'd finished Taskmaster, and I'd finished writing the uh, King and Black, Black Cat tie-in issues, where she saves Doctor Strange. And I was like, man, I need another job. And I was like, well, you know what? They don't. There's no Doctor Strange series going. They haven't announced a Doctor Strange series. So maybe I'll just email the editor. Cause I mean, I'm like, I guess I'm in the family at this point. I was like, hey, you know, can I write Doctor Strange? And, you know, Darren emails me back. He's like, yeah, sure. I was like, well, shit, that was easy. And then he emails, <laughs> emails me. He's like, yeah, we're going to kill him, and you can do it. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> ah, well, I like, I, I, I find it so interesting that the characters you've taken on solo series of have kind of come at such, you know, aside from Doctor Strange, you haven't chosen them. Because your versions of those characters all kind of are threaded. You know, there, there's like mm-hmm. similarities and they're, they're characters who have very defined specialties and also very clear weaknesses. Sure. And so I, one thing I really love about, you know, the stories that you write is like you construct these scenarios or you might even call them traps to put the characters in and then make them have to think their way out of it. 
And, you know, with Doctor Strange, it was death. With, uh, with Moon Knight, it was about, like, building a community or, or finding a community to exist in. Um, yeah, you know, or everybody hating him. Yeah. And, and with Black Cat, like, you know, the ultimate heist that she has to kind of trick her way out of. It's, it seems like you really love to find ways to back these characters into a corner and then have them have that moment where like they figure it all out. And that's, that's a kind of comic storytelling that I absolutely love to read. Yeah. I mean, that's for me, that's just, it's just kind of my natural uh, way of working, I guess. Because again, like you, you got to put them in a bad spot and they got to figure it out in a neat way. And I think a lot of it comes from reading, like, you know, I grew up on old comics. Um, like I've got beside my desk, I've got three rubber maids, my dad's old comics from the seventies. And so much of that stuff was like at the end of every issue, um, you know, Iron Man or the Avengers or Daredevil is just in the shit. And, you know, next issue, you know, they're going to figure it out and there's going to be, you know, some solution ranging from very clever to sort, you know, sort of clever, but you know, it's, they don't win just because they're better. They don't win just because they're stronger, just because they're tougher. There's got to be something kind of, uh, I mean, you know, not to toot my own horn or like sound like I'm really high on myself, but you know, there's got to be something kind of clever about it. Uh, something that's fun. And, um, that's, and I think part of that too comes from working with characters who are kind of lower on the power level, uh, or the power tier, like, you know, black cat, she's not throwing cars at people. So when you put her in a spot, she's really kind of got to work her way out of it. Um, and again, you can't just be like, Oh, bit of bad luck. Save me. See you next time. <laughs> uh, because you know, bad luck is a, a real pain in the ass power to work around. So, I think a lot of it kind of comes from that um, that sort of street level background of like how the dogs the dragon can get out of this one, how are how's Black Cat going to get out of this one, and then taking that philosophy and applying it to characters who are much more powerful, you know, be it Doctor Strange or the Avengers. Uh, we need to move on to uh, listener questions, mm-hmm. but I am I, I do have a question that I. Hopefully the answer to this will be quick. Which comes first for you, the trap or the solution? Um, I find often the trap. <laughs> Where if, I've, if I put the characters in the spot, then that's when I have to start thinking, I'm like, okay, well, how do they get out of it? And if needs be, I can go back and kind of like massage the trap to, to set up the solution. But... For me, it's, it's like it's all about a mental exercise. Um, and, you know, not not to go on too too long about this, but when I used to walk my dog. I listened to podcasts, uh, and then when I started working in comics, I had to stop because that was my time when I just basically run a rock tumbler in my brain, where I try to figure out like, okay, well, how do they get out of this? Like, how do they figure this out? And like, what cool thing can they say while they're doing this? Well, speaking of mental exercises, I think it's time for our listeners to do some mental exercises in the form of coming up with some questions that they want to know the answers to from Jed McKay and Matt. If the listeners want to get in on these conversations that we have here on the show, uh, how exactly can they go about that? Well, Chris, our listeners can escape a trap that's known as twitter.com by going to 
our Discord and joining there and asking questions for our guest there. Uh, you have to be invited to be on our Discord, so just ask us for an invitation and we'll get you on. And uh, we'll put out the call for questions on usually Thursday night, but sometimes we record other nights. And uh, we'll put out the call for questions for our guest both on Discord and still on Twitter, because some people simply cannot escape that trap. But uh, for those of you that want to, there is an option for you now if you want to ask questions on more Rocket Ajax. Uh, here's our first question from a listener. It's from Mark O. Stack on Twitter, who wants to know, how do you balance the deployment of humor in a comic like Death of Doctor Strange while still maintaining the integrity of the narrative stakes? Um, I think that is a, a constant knife's edge uh, because I, you know, I like putting jokes in things. Uh, I love, love a bit of a laugh, even in a serious book. And ultimately, I think it's something that is, you know, it's important. It's not, it's not fun to read a comic that's all doom and gloom. You got to have some jokes. You got to have a bit of fun. The trick is just not to undercut the larger emotional beat or like the larger emotional current, which I think a lot of it just kind of comes down to intuition. You know, as you're writing something, as you're going back over it, it just comes in. Does this feel right? Does this carry the weight? Does it? have the impact that you really needed to. And, you know, there are times when I'll have, you know, I'll take jokes out because it's undercutting things. Um, or it's, you know, throwing a lot of uh, noise to in, you know, the place of the signal that is the important bit of dialogue that has to come out. Um, so, yeah, it's <laughs> one of the least useful answers is you just kind of know, you know, <laughs> well, it's, it's, I'm always intrigued by the joke that not only doesn't undercut mm. the larger beat, but, but like adds to it, you know, when yeah. the, the way you wrote Steven and Clea th throughout death of Dr. Strange, but then also into the, the strange series and, and the series that's going on now, they have a banter between each other that, like serves as as humor, but also I feel like builds onto the emotional arc and the emotional stakes of that book. Yeah, and I mean, like the that banter is it's not just there because I love a chuckle, and I'm like, oh, people on Twitter are going to love this panel. But it's you know this this is the way people talk to each other. This is the this is the way people explore their relationships with each other is through humor, because there's a certain insulation there. There's a certain um, risk, uh, risk management. And I think that the reason it works is because it rings true. Uh, here's a question from Andrew on our discord. When writing moon Knight, how do you balance all the different personalities? How do you make sure none of them eclipsed pun intended the others? Hey. Um, that's something that's always tricky with moon Knight, And, um, it's something that I could see, you know, being criticized for because, to be quite honest, Mark Spector takes the the lion's share of the attention of all the altars uh, in the, you know, the Moon Knight system. Because I don't think that you know Jake Lockley and Stephen Grant are not important characters, but I feel like in a book called Moon Knight, it is ultimately going to be about Mark Spector, and that uh, you know Jake and Stephen are the supporting characters in the Mark Spector story. It's not 
it's not what you could say a uh, you know realistic portrayal of uh, you know DID or you know a DID system, but from a narrative perspective, it's Mark Spector who is the main character of this book, and uh, balancing that out is something that you know can be a bit tricky. But ultimately, we try to do in a way that is that feel you know feels as genuine as possible. And, uh, you know, we're always trying to, to stay away from these, you know, stigmatic portrayals of DID and Moon Knight. SR Hall 79 on Twitter wants to know, what was your favorite Avengers lineup of the past? Hmm. That's a tough one. Cause for me, with the Avengers, I always go back to 70s Avengers. And something I always find really funny about that team is, because I, mean, I, I would only read it in these kind of spaced out issues that my dad had when I was a kid. So when I go back to actually read it, in one go, they're constantly picking up and dropping members because it was just such a, I would assume a sales thing. They're like, well, let's move this character out. Let's, let's bring in someone new and see if this works, see if they stick. And it's not really something that I'm planning on doing, uh, at least in the near future in Avengers, but there's some, like a real kind of uh, catch as catch can nature in that book because you had characters who had their own books, you know, your Thor, your Iron Man, Captain America, and then you had, you know, Vision, Scarlet Witch, um, you know, occasionally Hercules, um, you know, Black Widow. Characters didn't have their own books, so sometimes Avengers would be a home for characters uh, without their own books, and then characters with their own books would kind of cycle in and out. So there's something about those '70s characters just. They're always trying stuff out, and they're always putting new stuff in that uh, I really, I really enjoy, and that's kind of you know always been my Avengers from because I mean your Avengers is going to be the team you read growing up for a lot of people. Uh, Brad on our Discord wants to know who's the DC character you'd most like to put your stamp on the way you have with Moon Knight. <sighs> that's tough. Um, I mean, there, there was the Dingbats, but I think that's gone now. <laughs> um, I, I've, I've always, I have an Aquaman thing in my back pocket and I've had it for a long time I think it could be a lot of fun uh, the question I think the question is probably my favorite DC character but also he's one of those characters that I think I don't know if I could do a good enough job to justify it because you know I love all the different question runs um, so yeah I, I guess Aquaman I think would be a good go unless well, that's what I'm thinking I had some thing of like weird World War II stuff with like uh, the Viking commando and stuff, but that was pretty uh, pretty sparse. <laughs> this one is not really a question, but I, I think it's worth mentioning. It's from the tall man underscore Z on Twitter. Oh, that guy who says, uh, "Been waiting for literal decades for Vision and Wanda on the team again, mm-hmm. but I'm still scared." Uh, but I trust. I have trust in faith. And then they say, "Wish I had a question." Do you feel a pressure with? Do you have a feel a pressure with Vision and Wanda on the team, Vision and Scarlet Witch, given you know all of that character background and history? Um, to a certain extent, I think the thing is that with Avengers, you're dealing with seven main characters who are all on a team. You know, it's not it's not the X Men where, to the best of my knowledge, of the current X Men team, none of them have their own solo book. You know, everything with those characters takes place in the X-Men book. With Avengers, uh, what, six out of seven of them have their own books right now? So 
there's only so much you can do as far as like big life changing stuff with these characters. But where a team book lives and dies is in the relationship between these characters. Um, and picking up these characters where we did, I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff. Uh, you know, the Black Panther's current status quo at the end of his last run, I think is really fascinating stuff to pick up from. Um, you know, you put that in a, you combine that with the fact that he and Captain America are not in really, um, you know, not, not really in uh, speaking terms at the moment. And the fact that there are other people in the Avengers who may have problems with the, you know, the Black Panther. Uh, similarly, there's just a lot of different relationships to explore, and I'm really excited about that. And Vision and Scarlet Witch is no different. Whether we see them crushed by the way of their history or moving forward from it or moving forward together, you know, like there's, there's a lot of different uh, directions to go, and I think uh, it's something really fun to explore. I, I know that wasn't a question, but uh, I don't feel a lot of pressure as far as those two characters um, together, or, you know, those two characters on the same team. But, you know, there is a, a great deal of pressure just for Avengers just in the fact that you have seven characters, each of whom are large groups of people's favorite character. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if if and, you're worried about uh, uh, Vision and Scarlet Witch, that sounds like someone's been uh, burned before. Oh, hey. Um, it's... Uh, it's the thing. It, it's the thing too with modern fandom that is uh, that I'm largely unfamiliar with is people's people are very keen on feats and like power scaling, and it's not really a mindset that I have a whole lot of interest or use for, interest in or use for. So uh, that's this kind of coming in at cross purposes there. Uh, Josh Dang it on our Discord says, uh, "I know it's been a, di- a dozen years since Disco Highway." Mm-hmm. But what's it going to take to finally get a follow-up with a new adventure of Dazzler and her radical all-girl roller death squad? Hey, man, I, I pitched Dazzler um, 2018. Didn't fly. Um, you know, maybe, maybe someday in the future. Maybe you've got enough cachet now to say, <laughs> give me Dazzler. <laughs> That's hey, you know Captain America and Black Panther aren't on the Avengers anymore. Here's who it's going to be. Well, that was the thing where I was when Tom asked, is like, hey, listen, we're putting together new Avengers. Uh, what do you got? I'm like, okay. Well, I was like, shit. What am I going to put on my team? And I think early on in my notes I have all in caps like, oh, yeah, give me fucking Dazzler. And I was like, ah, no. That's, I can't pull X-Men characters like that uh, in this climate. <laughs> X-Men characters in this economy? <laughs> in a fall of X? Are you kidding me? <laughs> uh, here's one last question from Meriwether on our Discord, and it is a fuck Mary kill Spider-Man, Black Cat, Mary Jane. <laughs> I, th- I think we mean Peter when we say Spider-Man here. Well, I mean, here's the thing: I can't marry Spider-Man because that'll never last. It's true. He'll, he'll flake out on you. That's true. I don't have the wealth to keep Felicia with me, so I guess I have to marry Mary Jane, kill Spider-Man. Perfectly reasonable answer. Uh, Jed McKay, this has flown by. Uh, There's so much more we could ask you about, but we have run out of time, so you'll just have to come back. Yeah, of course. Um, Before we let you go, 
um, please let our listeners know where they can find you and your work and, and anything else you want to know, want them to know about uh, as far as plugs go. Yeah. I mean, the only public facing social media I have is Twitter, unfortunately. Um, that is twitter.com slash Jed McKay, J E D M A C K A Y. Um, just usually there crowing about, uh, whatever's coming out next, but, uh, yeah, that's where you can find me and that's where you're probably best suited to find out what's coming out next. All right. Our guest has been Jed McKay. Go read all of it. Dark Strange, Black Hat, Avengers, Moon Knight. That Dart of the Dragon series. Get it. <laughs> go go track it all down. Uh, Jed, thank you so much. Uh, we have been very excited to talk to you, and this was a blast. Oh, well, thank you, Evan. And uh, had a great time talking to you guys. Thanks once again to Jed McKay for joining us. Uh, that was fun, and I would love to talk to that dude again and again about all the stuff that he's done. Uh, so hopefully he'll, uh, he'll come back on the show. But uh, for now, Matt, before we get out of here, we're not going to play one of our famous after-show games, uh, but we are going to talk about what you got for your birthday. That's right. So on the night of my birthday, as I was returning from across the Spider-Verse and dinner... As uh, you were returning from the Spider-Verse? As I was returning from being in the Spider-Verse, I got a text from you that I should have two packages at the door. So as soon as I got home... I found the two packages and, and brought them in, opened them up. The first one I opened was the more practical gift that you got me, the one that yes. I've been on the show and asked for and was very excited to see. Because not yeah. only do you need these, the ones you got me are very nice. I actually um, ordered another set of them and then canceled that order and bought you those because I thought they would be nicer. They're very nice. What they are are iced coffee cups that are glass, and the straws that come in them are also glass. Although they're also, it came with a couple of plastic straws. Mm -hmm. But like the main straws that come in them are also glass, and then the lids on top are like, like wooden. So they're just very, very nice coffee cups that for me to drink iced coffee out of which is a thing i really needed and you got me like a really nice really good version so i was really pleased with that i'm very happy yes. now if you listened to our discussion of what matt wants for his birthday on the show you will remember that when matt told me i would like some iced coffee cups i i believe i said i will be dead in the ground <laughs> before that is your birthday present for me because i like look everybody likes to get uh like a little little thing that they will use and is fun and, and and that's great i like that you like that we all like that but i also wanted to get you something fun yes and so it, so it was a two-part gift there were the coffee yes. cups but then also in a very long box uh, I I opened it to reveal a not full size version, but quite large rendition 
of the Dragon Slayer from Berserk. Yes. It's just that big-ass sword. It's like... It's just that big-ass sword. It's like foamy. I don't uh-huh. know if it could be used for, like, LARPing. I don't know if they're good for LARPing, but they're, like, they're meant for cosplay, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, yeah, yeah. I also... The reason I got you this is because... Uh, Remember when we drank a bunch of uh, Bojangles hard iced tea and I got a little too drunk? Uh-huh. Um, I did buy myself a Master Sword in the same style. <laughs> uh, so, like, I, I and I was like, oh, this is actually like surprisingly, like you know, like this satisfies my desire to purchase and own a Master Sword without me having to own a sword. So I was like, I know what I'll get, Matt. I did get him the practical thing. Now I need to get him the dumb thing that I want him to have. (laughs) Uh, Which is what I did. Yes. And when I texted you, like, these gifts are great, your immediate response was, please send pictures. Please send a picture of you wielding the Dragon Slayer. And I did. Uh, And I'll post it with this episode as well. Um, It's, it's, I have several pictures of now of me uh, holding the Dragon Slayer. Which, compared to me, is like not quite the size of a normal sword, but not as big as it is compared to Guts. If you were not familiar with the scale of Guts's sword, I think it would seem very, very large. <laughs> Absolutely, yes, yes, yes. Now, I did, I did look for and almost buy a a life size one, like an accurate size one. I don't even know how you could do that because it changes size in the comic. <laughs> uh, but the thing is, uh, the only ones that were like there is a fifty-one inch one, uh-huh. uh, but it is it, it was it was a little too much. I can imagine, yeah. I think, I and the imagine. one the one that I got you is is forty-one inches. It's, it's plenty big. <laughs> yeah, there is. There was also like. I could have gotten you a metal one. Hmm. That, that I think you made the right call. Yeah. Um, it is currently displayed in my office, uh, which is where it will be. Uh, but uh, it's very cool, and I, I'm very happy to have it. I'm glad to have gotten the practical thing and the dumb thing. Uh, yeah. You you wanted the practical thing, and I was happy to get you the practical thing as long as I could also get you the dumb fun thing that I thought would make you happy. So I'm yes. glad that it is it did its job. It absolutely did. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you to everybody listening who uh, sent along birthday wishes as well. If you would like to get in touch with us about something else... Uh, you can email us at our email address, which is warrocketpodcast at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us. We're at warrocketpod on Twitter. We're also on Tumblr at warrocketpodcast.tumblr.com. Or you can join our Discord and uh, pop in messages there. Um, you have to be invited to be on our Discord, so just ask for an invitation on any of those places I just mentioned, and we'll get you one. Or you could ask for an invitation on Patreon, too. Our website is warrocketajax.com. It has every episode of the show we've ever done. Warrocketwiki.com is the fan-run repository of all the information you could ever need 
about War Rocket Ajax. I used it earlier to look up when we gave Jed McKay the Intercontinental Championship. If you want to find me and my stuff, I'm at mattdwilson.net. That has links to my books, my comics, my other podcasts, and my social medias. Chris, where can people find you? Everybody can find me by going to the-isb.com. That is my website, and it has links to all the things that I do around the world. That's going to do it, everybody. Uh, We'll be back next week with another episode of War Rocket Ajax. Yeah. Until then, folks, don't forget, Black Lives Matter. Trans rights are human rights. Abortion rights are also human rights. Drag is not a crime. And cops aren't your friends, which is why Captain Stacy quit. But we love you. We love you. Yeah!